And we're back. I'm Gravier Brown, here with Jamakar Sandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're getting into The Promised Land and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. first segment we talk about the news for this week if you want to listen to our review for the promised land we got timestamps in the description all right gentlemen so first thing i want to talk about i just feel like it's worth mentioning we just lost carl weathers a few days ago yeah right and uh i feel like that's like a something i kind of want to touch on we don't usually talk about people's deaths a lot but i felt like this was an interesting one to kind of talk about because just of the era that he was like so prevalent in Right, you're a massive Rocky fan. Both of us are big fans of that franchise, but yeah. just ex- it extends way beyond that. You're a huge fan of Predator. Yeah. I just thought it would be interesting to kind of get your thoughts on all. Of that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. You know, you want to talk about alpha male testosterone fueled movies of the eighties? Yeah, it's it was like Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. right? But Carl Weathers was working with both of those guys on the Rocky franchise in four movies. Yeah, obviously worked with Arnie on Predator, iconic movies, iconic characters, and even though. For example, on the Rocky side, Rocky is Stallone's franchise. Mm-hmm. But Apollo Creed is such an important character. Yeah. There is no Rocky without Apollo. And then when you look at Predator, and Arnold Schwarzenegger has spoken about this a bunch of times, he was always playing the lead, but he always wanted to work on a movie that had an ensemble cast, mm-hmm. right? And like even in that movie, it's got one of the most iconic moments when you know Arnie and Carl kind of just... To shake hands. Bro ha- yeah, exactly. And it's kind of crazy because that is just, yeah, you're right. That's such an iconic moment in film. Yeah. But more than that, it's just like presence. Yes. Right. And more than anything, it just shows that Carl Weathers has massive presence in film. A hundred percent. And then, you know, then he just kind of went a little quiet. And then out of the blue, mid nineties, Adam Sandler's on this incredible run. And Happy Gilmore, again, is an Adam Sandler movie, but mm-hmm. Carl Weathers is such an important part and funny part of that movie as yeah. well. Yeah. And also a big part of my fandom of Carl Weathers was him in Arrested Development. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that as a show or right. like how much you really got into it, but it's one of the funniest shows of all time. If you watch the first three seasons, it is the funniest sitcom that's ever existed, if you ask me. Right. It's the most rewatchable thing over and over. And Carl Weathers has iconic comedic lines, because if you even go in our comment section of when we posted for Carl Weathers, you just see so many people just talking about, you got a stew going and all these different quotes from Arrested Development, just because... The character is so funny because he plays on himself. Yeah. He is Carl Weathers in the show, but he's this weird version of Carl Weathers that's like cheap and like an acting teacher. It's super hilarious. And like, if you're a fan of Carl Weathers and you haven't got a chance to check out that show, go out of your way because it's a great little treat, little side mission of who Carl Weathers is, more of a different side to him. I love that. And then obviously more recently, he was part of the Star Wars universe in Mandalorian playing Grief Karga. So... When you look at the overall career, he bursts onto the scene in the 70s and 80s, right? And then it's almost like a comeback story. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost every decade, oh, there's Carl Weathers, he's back again. Yeah. But at a different stage of his life, a different stage of his career. It's enduring, you know? At the end of the day, like, you just see somebody who fits in so many different pockets and yeah. still is able to rise to those roles and be able to fulfill completely different parts of those movies and yeah. shows and everything else. Yeah. Just a complete different range, growing constantly as an artist really absolutely but you know if you were to pinpoint the character is obviously apollo creed in the rocky franchise uh, he's got so many iconic moments in all the movies so many iconic quotes and lines and i really felt it i really did just you know obviously you know as we get older people 
pass away celebrities actors musicians some just hit harder than others mm-hmm. and carl weathers was one of them for me yeah i think it's you know at the end of the day like it's a celebrity you never met this person but i feel like art at the end of the day plays an impactful role in everyone's lives like yeah. if it wasn't carl weathers maybe it would have been somebody else but regardless carl weathers played a very important part in your life yeah and how especially in like a movie like rocky which so many people use as like a motivational tool you know what I mean? Like how many kids grow up, watch the Rocky movies and then start working out? Greatest sports movie of all time. Greatest sports movie franchise of all time. I legitimately watch these movies every year. Yeah. Like I, legitimately. Every, like Christmas for me isn't complete if I haven't seen Rocky 4. I, I feel like everybody has like a moment when you're like a kid where you start watching the Rocky movies. You're like, you know what? I want to get in shape. Right. And then you start running yeah. and you start doing all the other stuff. And then... And we haven't even spoken about that. This man, you want to talk about the the physique wars between Arnie and Stallone in the eighties? Yo, Carl Weathers was up there with these absolutely guys. Absolutely right up. More than that, iconic actor. Yeah, absolutely incredible impact in film. And uh, like, obviously, it's a it's a sad thing that happens, but it's a pretty amazing to be able to look through somebody's life and be like, wow, look at how many iconic moments they had how many just epic contributions they had to culture. And I feel like that's what we've seen on social media. He's been celebrated. You know, his his moments in these movies have been kind of brought back to the surface again, and he has been celebrated. Mm-hmm. So rest in peace, Carl Weathers. Absolutely. Uh, next thing I got, also still in line with uh, some stuff, I again, people who are very impactful to you, uh, Jurassic Park. I'm joking. <laughs> Actually, it's true. So David Leach, <laughs> this is a running joke now, I'm going to keep it going. Uh, David Leach is in talks to direct the new Jurassic World movie, OG Jurassic Park writer David Culp is returning to pen the script. It features an all-new storyline. Obviously, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> it still is, you know, era-wise. Yeah. You know, like, Jurassic Park is one of the most iconic movies of all time. Absolutely. They're moving in a new direction. I think the last... Okay, we talked about this a few days ago as a rumor. Now that it's almost, like, confirmed, yeah. it also apparently is coming out within a week of uh, Superman. So wow. it's going to be part of, like, whatever blockbuster summer we're about to have. Yeah. But more than that, it's interesting that there is a new... I think coming out of Godzilla minus one, there's a part of me that's almost like, you know what? Maybe there's an opportunity for these movies to become something else. Right. How do you, how excited can you get behind this? Yeah, I think it's all going to come down to that first trailer just to kind of get an idea of what they're trying to do. Like when Jurassic World came out, which is actually a pretty good movie in terms of a reboot goes, you could tell, all right, they're trying to reinvent the wheel. They're trying to make us remember what it was like when Jurassic Park came out in the early 90s. It had a fresh new cast and by the end, by the time we got to like Jurassic World Dominion, it was almost like the past and the present were coming together. Mm-hmm. You know, all the old actors, you know, came back. And so it was kind of like a celebration. It kind of ties up, you know, everything becomes full circle. If they're going to go in a brand new direction, it really needs to be a brand new direction here. Yeah. We don't need to go to an island anymore. Yeah. Right. We've kind of also seen these like dinosaurs roam around in various iconic cities in the world. So I guess there's only one thing left to do, man. It's the Fast and Furious crossover. (laughs) You know what I think would be cool? Uh, Just as a random pitch, I just thought of it right now. Imagine if we did a movie about this whole Jurassic Park, Jurassic World stuff, but it's the movie of when they first discovered all this stuff. Mm. Almost like a prequel. prequel. Almost like a prequel, but like almost like a reboot, right? Like how did this all kind of begin? How did you find that first dinosaur what happened with that first dinosaur and like how did you kind of develop that that'd be cool because then you can then it would have to be set in like the late 80s early 90s then you can start to play around with the era sure and the technology available Absolutely. at the time yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah, i think there's a lot of fun different directions obviously you could do that you could do more character driven pieces Horror. yeah there's so many different things you could do with it yeah, i yeah. feel like as much as we begrudge people of like using the same ip and over over and over 
it's also at the end of the day, stories are like very similar. If yeah. somebody's going to tell a dinosaur movie, why not make it Jurassic World or Jurassic right. Park or whatever? Yeah. But yeah, interesting new stuff. Uh, next one I want to talk about is James Cameron. I'm only purely mentioning this because it is James Cameron, mm-hmm. but he said he's a huge fan of the Apple Vision Pro. He said, I was skeptical at first. I don't bow down to the great god of Apple, but I was really, really blown away. I almost wanted to see like kind of where your head's at with the Apple Vision Pro. Are you super hyped for it? Yeah, I've seen all these clips on social media and it's pretty wild because the product itself is allowing all these content creators to get pretty crazy with what they're putting out there. So it's almost like they're doing all the hard work for Apple in Mm -hmm. terms of promoting it and marketing it. And as a product, it does look pretty cool in terms of like the application possibility with it i know the nba is doing a big deal with these guys in terms of how you can interact with the the players on the floor and and watch the game even just betting wise just having stats and stuff like that i feel like that's just a part of how people are going to kind of watch sports yeah moving forward yeah i feel like once the form factor gets better once the price decreases once it becomes a little bit more commonplace i think the the biggest thing though is they've gotten it to the point where it feels like it's actually kind of cool right you know what i mean like that's the biggest hurdle they had to overcome right and it kind of does feel that way where i am absolutely seeing it and it's out there and everybody looks kind of dorky right now right but a part of me goes like yeah but it seems like they're probably having a really good time yeah it seems kind of cool from an experiential perspective yeah and i was just about to touch on that for us what are movies going to be like with yeah. this thing on? Mm-hmm. You know, what is a film like Avatar and the 3D thing? And I mean, at the end like, of the day, how do people consume content? Mm-hmm. Like, are people going to have the same kind of patience? If everybody's wearing that thing all the time, yeah, right? Let's say 24-7, how much patience do you have to just sit there and watch a movie mm-hmm. and not have like 10 different things happening while you're also watching a movie? How will that change filmmaking? Yeah. How will that change just how people, again, watch a bunch of stuff? Just productivity in general. Yeah. You know, people like to like, I like to throw on a YouTube video in the yeah. background while I work. Um, and with this thing, you could maybe just have that in a corner of your eye somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly, wild, right? right? Yeah. Like you're just sitting there and just you also have your little podcast playing or whatever happens to be there and you're just watching in the corner. Yeah. But yeah, interesting times. It time. is interesting, yeah. Interesting times. But again, still Cameron related. Zoe Zeldana, she says that the Avatar sequels will cement the franchise as James Cameron's legacy. She said, he's blown our minds. This is his legacy project. We all thought it was Titanic and it turned out that Avatar is his legacy. Do you agree with that? I don't agree with that. Only from the sense, I just think his whole resume is his legacy. If you think about what he's done in the 80s and the 90s, Terminator as a movie and Terminator 2 literally pushed special effects forward, number one, and launched the career of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do you think at this point now, yeah, is that still the front-running project that people think of when they think of James Cameron? That's a different question versus where, what, what the legacy is. I just think of James Cameron as the greatest filmmaker of all time. And it's because of his entire resume. And it's because of the different movies he's made, different genres, different decades, and pushing technology forward and pushing cinema forward and pushing movies forward. But if you're just talking about what is the iconic movie that is attached to the James Cameron name? I think most people, and it may be recency bias, but it also could just be because it is the most successful franchise of all time or the most successful movies of all time. Mm-hmm. We've only really got two of them so far. It is going to be Avatar related, isn't mm-hmm. it? For a while, it felt like the first Avatar was like almost like an afterthought. Right. It was like, eh, does, do people even care about this anymore? Yeah. Then two came out and he did it again yeah so now i'm like okay maybe it maybe it is and now we don't have to wait another decade for the next one yeah now we know that there's there's gonna be more coming every couple of years and it's gonna be interesting to see how just like the life cycle of these movies do they still consistently hit those billions every single time yeah do they still have that same kind of cultural impact it's a lot of questions at the end of the day but it's gonna be interesting to see kind of where again it's kind of going back to the question like 
where James Cameron's legacy kind of ends up. Yeah. Right. Like strong statement from Zoe. Yeah. Right. Obviously she's part of it too. So yeah, like, I would want my thing to be part of the, the yeah, strongest yeah, part yeah. of the legacy too. Sure. I think the next thing is the most exciting piece of news we got this week. Brad Pitt will star in Quentin Tarantino's final film, the movie critic. Obviously I just love, I love both of those people together. Yeah. They make incredible films. They did once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, Brad Pitt obviously got his Oscar for that. And Glorious Bastards. What can I say about Glorious Bastards? And even just going beyond that, just uh, a Tarantino scripted project in True Romance. Yeah. Brad Pitt was a part of that. Mm-hmm. So Brad Pitt, almost kind of like as the back end of his career, ending with a Tarantino's final movie, mm-hmm. is actually just like chef's kiss, isn't it? It's yeah, perfect. Absolutely. I feel like Brad Pitt's, he's already mentioned that he's kind of at the tail end of his career. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of what choices he makes next. How many people does he have left to work with? Right. Like what other movies does he want to do? Yeah. Especially after Babylon. I feel like Babylon is a really interesting movie because it's some, in some way, just conceptually, like his character being like this end of his era, Hollywood star moving into a different direction, knowing that his time is kind of over. I wonder if Brad Pitt kind of feels that way, even though he still feels very cool. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if he also like kind of just recognizes the moment and being like, you know what? I'm just going to let it go when it's the right time to let it go. Yeah, it's funny because his career has been um, always been compared to Robert Redford. And Robert Redford kind of had this incredible run in his peak, took a lot of time out, and then kind of came back as the older statesman mm-hmm. in a lot of movies. Yeah. And they even had a movie together, which is a, a spy game. Oh, it's a pretty good, pretty good movie, actually. And I wonder if Brad Pitt maybe kind of comes to an end, takes a break, and then we get, I don't know, older Brad Pitt that has yeah. come back for a couple of movies I here could and there. imagine that happening, a little beloved old man Brad Pitt. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that happening. What's going to be cool, though, is regardless, this is going to be promoted as Quentin Tarantino's final movie. Mm-hmm. It's going to do crazy box office, crazy I, numbers. At the end of the day, like, I just, I feel like he has been treating it so carefully. Yeah. Right? Like, he's so this is my last movie this is my 10th movie this is my catalog all that kind of stuff yeah he treats it so sensitively yeah i'm so curious to see how do you end off that career was i think they were like big fans of tarantino he's yeah, my favorite yeah. director yeah so if i'm if i'm such a fan of his entire catalog yeah and then to see how he wants to wrap that up as a fan of his i'm so curious to see what his version of that is what's this yeah. one song how does he leave this as like this is my final statement in filmmaking. It's almost one of the most difficult things as a Tarantino fan to do is manage your expectations because yeah. you don't want to go into that situation and that experience so overly hyped because it is his final movie and because he has taken so much time with you know kitty gloves on just to make sure it's like you know going to be perfect. Sure, sure. And hopefully it he nails it. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you know the mindset of I kind of going into that experience? I feel you. I, I feel like I'm approaching it not from like a, a uh, expectation perspective. Okay. Right? Like I'm not like, you know what? Give me the best movie of all time. Give me mm. your best movie. Mm. I'm not really going to that. I almost am walking in being like, okay, cool. How do you want to end this thing? Right. What's your thought? Like what is your version of ending this thing? Because mm. he's so careful with it. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be a cool statement on being able to just finish your career with this. I agree with you. But it has to be a good movie. I, I, I don't want to no doubt it's going to be a good movie. I don't want to be leaving like, oh, that was a bit of a... I don't think it's going to be like that. Uh, how I can, wasn't a big fan of Death Proof to sing. Yeah, I don't think he uh, really considered... Like, I'm sure that's in his catalog, but it's like almost right. like a fun double feature thing he wanted to do. Sure. I almost respect it as a move, right? Yeah, I respect the move, but, you know, like, listen, you know, even Cameron, people don't like The Abyss. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, there's always going to be some movies in the, in the catalog where it just doesn't work for you for whatever well, he reason. Does, he's been doing like such amazing work in the past couple yeah. of years, like in Glorious Bastards, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, getting to the point now where it's like, this is where he's going to end it. I am certain he's going to drop a banger. Here's a, here's a question for you. If you had to kind of split Tarantino's catalog into two. Yeah. It's in you Glorious prefer Bastards. early or after? 
Um, yeah, for me, it's Inglorious Bastards like after Onwards, is like kind of the two separate points. Yeah, for me, it's early Tarantino. Yeah, well, I mean, like, uh, like the that's where I se- make the separation point. But I don't know. Like, I, like I, I still think Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction are his one A, one B best movies. You know, I can make an argument that like Inglorious Bastards is his best movie. You don't even make an argument. This is an opinion. But I just feel that, like that's but that's, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. like uh, that's what I kind of struggle with as a Tarantino fan sure because like genuinely like I do have conversations in my head where I'm like you know what Inglourious Bastards is not just his best movie I think it might be the best movie you know mm-hmm. what I mean like it's like in that kind of conversation for me if if I'm making like one offering of like this is I think his best movie right I think Inglourious Bastards might be that oh okay right and like same thing like as far as like a, a chill movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is so incredible yeah you just get to experience yeah, yeah. that era and i'm not knocking any of these movies way. all of these movies are fantastic yeah it's just it's a good conversation it's yeah, a good yeah. like barbershop sure. talk i think if anything like it's kind of cool because it's two different things on one side i feel like we're getting like this end of his career kind of version yeah of tarantino with a lot of his like like inglorious bastards and uh once upon a time in hollywood where he's kind of dropping these movies where it's like a flex yeah. of like, look how amazing every single scene is like the best scene you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. And then like with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, it's like raw talent just coming out mm-hmm. and you're watching somebody kind of create their own style. Yeah. Right. Like even beyond being a fan of Tarantino, it's a known thing of Tarantino kind of dialogue, kind of changed filmmaking, how people yeah. speak in film. A hundred percent. Changed uh, after he had started making movies. It's also when you consume Tarantino. Like if like I grew up with Tarantino from day dot from his very early work, right? Some people maybe only watching those films now. So how that trans? You might be like, oh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is your first like Tarantino experience. Now I'm gonna go back and watch all his other movies. Yeah. Like how does that work for you as a Tarantino sure. fan or just as, as a movie fan? So and I think that's what's kind of cool because if you are a Tarantino fan, you probably are a pretty big film fan. Yeah. Right. Like you probably are going back. And doing the deep dive, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? And you're watching Pulp Fiction, then you're like, oh man, I gotta watch everything else. For sure. Because it just opens you up to like a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, and not we didn't even discuss like Kill Bill, Jackie yeah. Brown, yeah. so many incredible movies to just kind of live with. Yeah. But yeah, a, a very exciting time because at the end of the day, we're getting a new one. It's supposedly coming out in 2025. So it's interesting to also talk about like what else he can do. Yeah. He's talked about like not just ending his film career, but maybe doing plays, doing TV, TV shows. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things that we can talk about. Next one I got, Succession Writer... Francesca Gardner is one of the three finalists being considered for the creative lead for the Harry Potter TV franchise. Wow. I feel like uh, just hearing that Mm -hmm. is very inspiring to me. Mm -hmm. It makes me think that this is going to be a franchise that's going to be really well thought out. And as somebody who grew up with that source material and grew up reading the Harry Potter movies, I think nothing more do Harry Potter fans want than something that's true to the actual books. I've always said if they're going to ever reboot Harry Potter, it has to be a TV show. So A, I'm glad that this is happening. B, I was told by countless Harry Potter fans that read the books that so much stuff is missing from the movies. So you have so much to play with that hasn't been seen on the big screen, period. Yeah. And then you have Succession on your resume. That's a pretty good chip to put on the table to cash in. That's all I need. Anybody who wrote on Succession, I'm watching what you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that show was just so tremendously good that anything you do... At the very least, I'm curious to see what happens. Right. Like, look at American Fiction. I think that is a perfect post-succession career statement by somebody like Corey Jefferson. 100%. Let's see what else everybody's doing. Yeah. Next one I've got, Daisy Ridley. 
She says that it makes her emotional thinking about the positive reaction to Ray's return for a new Star Wars movie. She says, I get to have more adventures. I'm like, where is she now? Where is this adventure? And how are things going to go? So obviously, like this is uh, something that's been discussed. Yeah. We're re-entering this brand new phase of Star Wars where they're launching a bunch of new franchises, it seems like. And Ray continuing to be in that story. Are you excited about that? Does that get you in the theater? There are some Star Wars projects that get me excited. This isn't one of them. Would you watch it? I'd watch it. It's a Star Wars movie. I'm I'm definitely going to watch it. That's fair. But in terms of my level of anticipation going into a a Ray project. Did you not like Ray? The sequel trilogy? Did you not like her at all? Overall, the the movies have not aged well for me. Mm. Like even... You you watch them again? I've watched them all two or three times Mm -hmm. at this point. And each time I watch them, I like them or dislike them more. Okay, even Last Jedi. Even Last Jedi. I go back. Even though that is obviously the one that you would go to as that was the shining beacon of light in that trilogy. Yeah. Right? And it is the best of the bunch. Yeah. But because the others don't complement it or work, and because the overall story was such a big mess, the connective tissue between them doesn't work for me. And that's why I kind of, over time, it hasn't worked for me. You know what? I had that thought process as it was happening. Right. In the moment, I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. Like, none yeah. of this, as a Star Wars nerd, like, it just didn't connect right. Right. But now when I kind of sit back and I just watch them as, like, individual movies, I still think they're really fun. If yeah. I'm being completely honest. And not only that, especially the first one. The first one is massively, uh, uh, The Force Awakens. Super fun movie. Obviously, it's just a rehash yeah. of A New Hope, but A New Hope is like one of my favorite movies of all time. Sure. Why wouldn't I want something similar to something sure, like that? Sure, sure. But Last Jedi is low key a really great movie. Like when you rewatch it and you just let it kind of do its thing, mm. it really is an incredible Star Wars movie. But yeah, I, I still think at the end of the day, there is an opportunity with those sequel characters. There is an opportunity where they can still make movies, see where those stories kind of go. And at the end of the day, kind of let us go into a new version of Star Wars. Here's the one thing that I will say that I am excited about, and it's Jean Favreau and Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni. Those two being involved in the future of these Star Wars movies is great. Mm-hmm. Like, so if they have any input into the Ray movie, fantastic. That at least is a good thing, because I'm such a big fan of their work on I'm sure they will. I feel like they're going to be a part of everything. That's what I'm saying. Forward. Yeah. But that is sure. like a, a, a positive from yeah, the whole situation. 100%. For me. Last two things I got. Dennis Villeneuve says that Christopher Nolan is the best and most important filmmaker of our time. Mm. Do you agree? Of his generation, yes. Of me personally, of all time, obviously it's Cameron, for you it's Tarantino. Yeah. But of this modern era, say let's call it the last 10, 15, what, at this point, 20 years, how can it not be Nolan? Mm-hmm. How can it not be Nolan? If you look at the number of movies he's made, and if you look at the different genres he's worked in, we're talking like big IP franchise comic book movies to something that's completely original, like Inception. He has his own fan base. He's able to take chances. He's got the backing of studios. He's literally the filmmaker that other filmmakers are hoping and aspiring to be in the studio system yeah. where they can actually do personal projects and then maybe do something that's very much like the, the checking off the list of an IP blockbuster. Mm. At the end of the day, like the last 12 months encapsulates that really well. He did a biopic on Oppenheimer yeah. that did a billion dollars, man. And it's not because of Cillian Murphy. It's because this is a Christopher Nolan movie. Yes, there's a whole Barbie element to it and the whole marketing campaign. But if you even take that out, maybe it doesn't do a billion with the whole Barbie campaign. It will still do really, really well because if you look at the track record, all of his movies do really, really well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's an, it's an interesting point. I feel like it's interesting because what does it mean to be like the most important filmmaker of our time? What is our time? You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, Christopher Nolan is like one of the most impactful filmmakers of this time. Yeah. For sure. If you and me had to make a list of our top five filmmakers of all time, we know what's number one for both of us, Tarantino and Cameron. And I'm not asking us to do a top five right now, but I'm feeling very confident in saying would Nolan make top five for both of us? He'd make top five for me. Would he make top five for you? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I, I would need time to think about it, I'm but sure. I, I don't, I'm not like so confident to be like, yeah, for sure. Okay. For right. me, he is. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I completely understand. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, he's one of the most consistent filmmakers that have gotten me excited through life. You're right. Of like a movie to get excited about. Yeah. You're the, you're a bigger music um, head than, than I am. But when it's a Nolan drop, yeah. it's like a Kanye album is dropping or for a Jay-Z sure. album is dropping. Whatever like, big artist it is. Yeah. That's like a well-respected artist. You're it's right. different because it's like. I get it from that metaphor. A Drake album drops. Right. You know, I get, I can like get like, all right, cool. I'm going to listen to this. Sure, sure. But I'm not getting super excited. Like we know the next decade, we're getting more Avatar movies. If Cameron. I get a Kendrick album. Right. I'm excited. Yes, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm a different kind of excited. Okay, great. Absolutely. Fantastic. So we know for the next decade, we're going to get these Avatar movies from Cameron. We know what we're going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we, we've got two of them already. Yeah. We're not going to get anything else. He's for not sure. going to go do uh, a personal bad. project or like, you know. <laughs> or like more than that bad, right? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't expect this to be like ever below a certain dip of quality. Yeah. Even if they get a little bit like, you know what? I don't really like that one as much. I'm sure the quality will be tremendous regardless. Yeah. And with Nolan, every project seems to be a different era, a different genre, a di- like it's just you're doing something new, fresh. But we are as as film fans still excited to watch it. It doesn't matter what the genre is. Yeah. If you want to do a biopic? Great. Want to do something original, sci-fi in space? Great. It's Nolan. You know it's going to be quality. It's funny because the idea of passing the baton when we talk about all these like filmmakers kind of retiring and moving on to different things. I always think of like the baton that is passing from Christopher Nolan is absolutely going to Denny. Mm. Like Denny Villeneuve is like the next version of that. You he's know off I mean? to a fantastic start. Yeah, of course, he's like yeah. elevating so much of what he, whatever he takes is the best version of that. Right. Look at what he did with Blade Runner. Look at what he's doing with Dune. Also, speaking of Dune, uh, another quote that came out of that same uh, screening uh, or, or conversation. Yeah, from that same conversation was Christopher Nolan. He compared Dune 2 to being Denny Villeneuve's The Empire Strikes Back. Nice. So at the end of the day, we always talked about how the first Dune was like a setup. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of setup and we're ready to see how they're going to actually oop this alley. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, and it feels like we're about to get a really tremendous movie. Yeah, and we're literally weeks away yeah. from it finally being released. And if it does well, we're going to get a third, it sounds like. And yeah. I'm actually looking forward to rewatching the first one. I haven't actually rewatched it at home. It's been available to watch on streaming services for a while, mm-hmm. but I've been waiting to rewatch it like the week before Dune 2 drops. Yeah. Just so it's completely fresh in my I mind. I completely understand that. I'm probably yeah. going to do the same thing. Yeah. To be honest, I, I definitely feel like a little not fresh with the first one. I definitely want to get refreshed on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think just interesting news. It's good like note to end on because now we can be excited about the next couple of weeks. And now let's talk about the movie we are discussing this week. We're talking Mads Mikkelsen's The Promised Land. I love the idea about giving life to a man who so desperately wants to be part of something that he hates. All right, gentlemen. So we're talking about The Promised Land. We watched this movie at TIFF mm. 2023. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting because I think I walked in this movie, if I'm being completely honest, with the lowest of expectations. Right. I hate period pieces. Yeah. The, even just the visual of this movie is something that I don't even like to look at. Mm-hmm. Like this era of time just does not appeal to me in any visual capacity. Right. But 
I kind of, I, I will say I walked away with a very different opinion than what I walked in with. Mm-hmm. Um, what you, what was your experience with the movie? Well, before we get to that, can we just preface this whole conversation and this re- review by saying initially, I think we were thinking about watching Argyle this past weekend yeah. and reviewing that movie. I personally never on paper was like excited about watching this movie. I'm not the biggest Matthew Vaughn fan. I mm. saw the trailer, thought, mm, doesn't really, you know, look great. I, I don't really care for Dua Lipa's big screen debut or anything like that. And it just felt like one of those movies that's got everyone under the sun. John Cena check, Henry Cavill check, and a couple of other stars check. We're just going to mishmash them all in there and do something. And I think you were trying to, and you almost did watch it, but for some reason you didn't watch it over the yeah. weekend. And that's why we kind of pivoted to watching Promised Land. But before we get to Promised Land, you know, Argyle is the number one movie at the box office this past weekend, but it bombed big time. Mm-hmm. And it cost $200 million to make. Yeah. It only made 35 worldwide. Mm. And that must ring some alarm bells from everyone involved in that project. I mean, Forget about how it's being received from a, a critical point of view, from fans and from the critics. But ultimately, man, $200 million. And a reason why I bring that up again is I was looking at Promised Land. It cost 8 million euros to make this movie. Mm. And now we can talk about the movie. Yeah. Because we watched it last September, like you said, at the Toronto International Film Festival. And I didn't really have too much hype going into it either. Because when you're at these film festivals, you don't know much about most of these movies. You're just trying to like figure out your schedule. Should we watch this one? Should we watch that one? What can we watch? What's available? What's on? Mm-hmm. And the only thing about this film that I recognized was Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I know Mads. I've seen him in a bunch of movies, a Bond movie. He's in the MCU. Let's check it out. He's in Star Wars. Let's check it out. Yeah. And aren't we glad that we did? Absolutely. Because you come out the other end and... I think we both said this was in our honorable mentions yeah. of favorite movies of 2023. It didn't make our top 10, mm-hmm. but it was it was right there in the mix of one of our favorite films of the it year. It was for sure one of my favorite movies coming out of TIFF, 100%. Yeah. At the end of the day, it was in that honorable mention list for sure. And it's interesting because coming out of this, again, I'm not a big fan of period pieces, but this was also based on partially on a true story. It's just it's just interesting to kind of think of it from that perspective. But again, as a period piece, instant turnoff for me, like I mentioned. But I really look at this movie now as almost closer to a Western. Right. Right. Like when I think about it, like I think it's like a branding issue whenever you whenever I think your movie's a period piece and it's going to be boring and it's not that that's probably a disservice of your marketing right now. Yeah. And the funny thing about this film is when you just to try and describe it to someone like yeah. what is this film about? Well, it's an 18th century Denmark post-war movie about this war captain who is literally coming back from battle he's retiring from the army Mm -hmm. and all he wants to do is he wants to grow some crop yeah he wants to farm some land and it just happens to be land that nobody else cares about Uh, apparently it's unfarmable but he's gonna try and do it he gets it done but then all of a sudden there's issues from a, a local a uh, nobleman who is the villain of this story mm-hmm. and it's basically this power dynamic between the two of them in terms of what they're trying to do what they're trying to achieve professionally you know ludwig who is played by mads mickelson is trying to get status he's trying to get the king's favor by saying look at all this crop that i'm growing for the the royal family and then you've got this you know local nobleman frederick who is part of this hierarchy a rich kid who just throwing his money and power around and is kind of like jealous of what Ludwig is doing. Mm -hmm. And 
that's what you basically get. You get this back and it's forth. Like a power struggle. Almost, yeah, throughout yeah. the entire movie. But the way it plays out, it's so sharply written. It's witty. It's intelligent. It's funny. I, it, it sounds boring. Like, even from, like, that perspective of, like, just using words. Like, th- at the end of the day, they. I feel like sometimes a movie like this comes across... Not to say that this is how they're marketing it, but how it comes across as a movie about like agriculture. Right. And it's like, I'm not going to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why would I, why would that be interesting to me? But hey, you know what this movie really is about? This guy just wants what's his and he wants his revenge. Right. Those are the two dynamics that he actually ends up playing with as a human being. That's what he wants. He wants what's his yep. because he wants to cultivate something of his own. And then more than that, when someone takes that away from him or stops him or interrupts that, he just wants revenge for, for, for that at the end of the day. Or, uh, even like revenge is like a strong word because he even uh, not necessarily it's him that wants or gets revenge out of that. But yeah. at the end of the day, that's the dynamic that I feel like is undersold coming into this movie. 100%. Even just if you just focus on the cultivating this unfarmable land aspect on paper yeah it sounds pretty boring yeah but the way it plays out mm-hmm. you what you what you see ludwig played by mads mickelson go through the struggle yeah just to you know get some you know fertilized soil to take and to have some plants bloom is just incredible and then he's not just battling the elements in terms of the weather he's trying to get staff yeah he's got issues with that mm-hmm. he's got this nobleman who's just trying to put obstacles in his way and yeah. in many ways it becomes this underdog story so when he does exactly. finally you know raise his crop you are rooting for him you yeah. are happy for him yeah and and again it, it the fact that we keep using words like crop <laughs> and anything of the sort heath like any of that just sounds so aggressively boring to yeah. me but at the same time that is not what this movie is it's lost when you think of it in that way like right. There was a really great quote of uh, I was listening to Mads Mikkelsen talk about this movie at the AFI Q&A. And he said, I love the idea about giving life to a man who desperately wants to be a part of something he hates. Right. And like, that's an interesting dynamic because guess what? So many people do that. How many times do you work a job that at the end of the day, you're so aggressively like you want to be the manager of your job at a company. And then you want to be like the whatever position that feels like an attainable reward for your hard work right but you hate your job right right like that is the most relatable situation that you could possibly understand of somebody yeah yeah right and uh and yeah it's like it's weird that like uh, the movie like again i keep saying this but like the messaging is very different and i feel like maybe it translates differently but i think purely it's just because of the genre doesn't translate right to film to, to film goers yeah in in an interesting way because we've been hit with so many different kinds of boring period pieces from time to time that it can really more your experience 100 percent. and also this is a, a full-on danish movie yeah so it's in subtitles and i mean talk about denmark being able to showcase this as, as a homegrown project to the entire world mm-hmm. even when i think about mads mickelson i was first introduced to him in casino royale which was daniel craig's first bond movie mm-hmm. and mads plays the villain i had not seen anything prior to that and and he's been able to sustain that run and you know appear in a bunch of obviously we talked about he's in the mcu he's yeah. in star wars he was just recently in uh the latest indiana jones movie mm-hmm. as a villain there but this finally feels like the mads mickelson legacy movie yeah when you think about mads mickelson as an actor as a danish actor as someone that perhaps maybe you know 
against all odds, has kind of made it in Hollywood. Yeah. And now he's going back to his roots and doing a personal project here and maybe arguably giving the best performance of his entire career. I completely agree. Actually, arguably his career, because there are like a few movies that even come to mind of like how good this guy is. And I feel like that's kind of the cool thing. In the past couple of years, he's had such a long career. Right. When you look at him now, it's like he's seen as somebody who delivers. Right. This guy really can put on amazing performances and he does it consistently. Yeah. In so many different formats. Like you mentioned, being able to drop a performance like this another round and then being able to go into the MCU would be like, all right, cool. I'm going to do some ninja stuff. Yeah. That's cool. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I feel like an interesting thing is like what I do really like about this movie is beyond the performances. There are some incredible performances in this movie, by the way, and we'll get into a few other people as well. But I kind of like it from a storytelling perspective of how much it gives you glimpses of like happy moments. You know, like you'll be like, oh, there's crops. Yeah, yeah, and then aggressive disappointment. Yeah. And it takes away the payoff entirely. The highs, the highs, and the lows, the lows. They, but even like the highs are like shortly lived, and then you just yeah. get completely destroyed. Like, yeah. alright, cool. Now this person's being boiled alive, or whatever it is. But it plays with your emotions in such yeah. an interesting and smart way. And, and I respect it so much. It's a swing, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's such a swing as a filmmaker to think that your audience is going to be cool with completely being deprived of payoff over and over and over. And every time these characters have the, have a win. The rug is just swept completely from under them. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, that's why it's even cooler that instead of being stuck in this situation, these characters, they end up giving up their lives, right? Like he, in the end, he, he has a successful settlement. Yeah, but then he ends up leaving yeah. the settlement he gives that to up. be there with the love of his life. Exactly, because at the end of the day, he saw that this life that he was so desperate for was not serving him pop, like properly right. or giving him what he actually wanted out of life. Yeah. He said, forget all this. Yeah. He gives up his like everything and he breaks her out and he goes and runs off into the sunset. Again, very cool ending, very cool story in general. I think that's as good as a payoff as you could possibly ask for. Right. Yeah. No, I a hundred percent agree. And as you mentioned, this is a Mads Mikkelsen movie, but the support he has yeah. from the other actors who play these key characters, in a way, it's almost like a theatre play, like a stage play. Yeah. Because it does literally revolve around three or four characters. While at also feeling like really big sometimes yeah. with like some of the set pieces. Because again, it's just set in like fields and like the way it's shot is gigantic yeah the scale on screen is gigantic in terms of the fields like you mentioned and the farmland and but it literally just only involve maybe like a dozen or so actors in total it's mm. like you know it's only about a couple of actors and characters that are going through what they're going through but i think the other one that we should talk about is like we said the villain of the story um simon benenberg who plays uh, Frederick. So he is this merciless nobleman. I'm so and glad th- you pronounced that. I never <laughs> would have done that. <laughs> and I believe you and me both said in a kind of post-TIFF mini recap, arguably villain of the year. Yeah. Right? I completely still agree with that. Because yeah. at the end of the day, like, what a spectacular villain. You really hated this guy. Yeah. So uh, when I talk about payoffs, they are tremendously satisfying payoffs when it comes to that character. Yeah. That's as good as it gets. Yeah. Actually, I kind of like uh, want to get into our categories because okay. I feel like that kind of leans into it as well. Sure. As far as best character goes, who did you end up with? So I'll be honest with you. I think this is Mads Mikkelsen's movie. It's Mads Mikkelsen's best performance ever, mm-hmm. period. But my favorite character is Frederick. Me too. Because he is such a great villain. Yeah. And you don't get the payoff and you don't feel good for, for Mads and the other you know characters that are going to benefit from the death of Frederick without seeing what an absolute piece of crap he is throughout the entire movie. I completely agree. He's such a great villain. At the yeah. end of the day, like you're sitting there and you're just like, 
uh, again, he gets you to really hate him. I think that's like the goal of any heel in yeah. any kind of setting period. Yeah. It, it's, it's constant. It's consistent. He will, he just does little stuff that slowly gets you to like first distrust him and then full on hate him. Yeah. And then you just loathe this human being. You're just like, this is a despicable human being. And then that is why the setup is even more satisfying when he gets his comeuppance. Yeah. Um, and again, speaking of best scenes, that is absolutely my best scene, by the way. Okay. Is when uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character, he's being tortured. While he's being tortured, the girl who used to work at Frederick's castle, I don't know what to call it. The maid. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. maid, right? Barbara. Anna and Barbara. She, she used to work for Mads yeah. on the farm, but they're going to take her away and then end up working as a maid. And then she sneaks in, starts making this poisonous drink. She feeds it to him. And then not only does she stab him, but she like just dismembers him. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, I think that's like, again, speaking of this Tarantino conversation, a part of me thinks like that's how Tarantino would have like gone with this scene. Right. Not only go with the poison, kill him, all that kind of stuff, but make it as dramatic as possible. Yeah. And that's really what was a, a massively satisfying payoff in every kind of way. That's exactly the same scene that I've got yeah. as my favorite scene of the entire movie. It's not surprised. It's really a great scene. I mean, you described it way better than I ever could, but I literally just wrote, it's when Ludwig gets tortured with boiling hot water and Anne finally kills Frederick. Yeah. But you don't know way better job <laughs> describing the, the nitty gritty of that scene. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, like that is really what I feel like this movie does really, really well is deprive you of payoff and then eventually actually deliver a very satisfying finish. Yeah. As far as star rating goes, zero being the worst, five being the best. Where did you end up with for The Promised Land? I gave it a 4.5 stars rating out of 5. I think it's one of the best films of 2023. It didn't make my top 10. It made my honorable mentions. Honestly, it's the kind of movie you have to kind of go out of your way and almost convince yourself to like give it a chance. But when you do, you're going to get a great payoff. I agree. It's it's out in theaters this weekend. Go out of your way to watch it. It's going to be one of those hidden gems and you're going to be really, really glad that you did watch it when you do watch it. Yeah, I completely agree. I went with 4.25. I think it's one of the best period pieces I've seen ever, right? And again, the problem with that statement, I have not gone through the best period pieces of all time. Sure. I'm just not that guy. Like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. just not going to happen. That's not coming from me. The pool of period yeah. movies in your catalog is Super shallow. Yeah, yeah. But it's like almost uh, a shame that this movie exists because now it makes me think, oh, I'm missing out on something, right? And I don't even want to watch enough period pieces to have perspective on that. <laughs> so like, <laughs> part of me is wondering, am I good? Am I going to keep watching this? But Your period movies are my horror movies. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. But at least I really enjoy, like I get like, I feel like uh, a horror movie is like very visceral experience. Sure. Period pieces are like, I got to deal with this for a while. Like, right. you know what I mean? Sometimes a bad period piece yeah. is like, oh my God. I got to sit through this for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Cause guess what? They're never like 90 minutes. Yeah. Like a bad horror movie might be right. A, a bad period piece 100%. is three and a half hours. It's a much more longer commitment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. But that's everything for the promised land. Let's get into our last segment of the show. Chumba, what is your recommendation for this week? My recommendation this week was very, very easy. It's uh paying homage to Carl Weathers, who we spoke about earlier on. And there's a bunch of movies I could have chosen here. I ended up going with Rocky three from 1980. Apollo Creed in this movie goes from being Rocky's rival to being his coach as Rocky is looking to avenge his loss to Clubber Lang uh, who's played by Mr. T who's at the peak of his powers uh, during this era and it's all about Rocky you know losing the quote-unquote eye of the tiger to fame and fortune you know um, something that we see a lot in combat sports you know these underdog stories of these fighters finally you know making it becoming world champions 
getting rich, getting famous, getting everything they ever wanted. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're sleeping in silk pajamas and you lose the eye of the tiger. That's mm-hmm. going to make you the fight that, that you're supposed to be. And, you know, Carl Weathers in this movie has yet another outstanding performance. I feel like every performance in, in the Rocky movies for him is something fresh and new. And that's credit to Stallone for writing the character that way as well. Mm-hmm. And it's got one of the best lines of dialogue in the entire franchise period, which I'm, saw, I'm sure you saw on uh, on social media this week yeah. the line is there is no tomorrow and it's when he's trying to tap into rocky to kind of just wake up because yeah. this rematch is coming up around the corner uh, the, the, the whole franchise is so motivational but it's got it's just got so many things that can motivate you in different ways whether it's scenes or dialogue or whether it's these you know um great montages set to some great 80s music yeah. um this week i'm recommending rocky 3 from 1982 yeah i mean i think this is my favorite rocky movie if i'm being honest and like yeah absolutely like again we talked about it at the start of the show but what an incredible franchise absolutely go your way to watch that mine actually is also connected to what we were talking about earlier purely like coincidence almost because i was surprised that i didn't even recommend this before i'm going with inglorious bastards okay nice all right and the reason i wanted to kind of tack in onto this is like it's kind of that tarantino connected tissue when i was thinking about the movie i was thinking about like that scene feels very tarantino-esque to me but more than that this movie inglorious bastards is a movie that falls into that category of a perfect movie for me. Like genuinely that conversation of what a perfect movie is, is so much fun, but this is one of my entries into that conversation because mm-hmm. maybe it's the best Tarantino movie. Like I mentioned before, maybe it's the best world war two movie that's ever been made in, in a completely different way. When you have world war two conversations about movies, a nonfiction world war two. Yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But even yeah, when yeah. like overall, like when you talk about like what is an interesting world war two movie, like obviously this isn't what actually happened. Sure. But when I think of, well, if we're talking about that genre, what's the most enjoyable movie for me? That's the one. Yeah, it's definitely high on the entertainment factor. I guess the only other one that comes to mind is probably Saving Private Ryan. Jojo, different uh, type of movie. Jojo Rabbit. Like there's a, sure. there's a little, weird little subcategory yeah. of like fun. And look at the filmmakers behind these movies. We're yeah. talking about Tarantino, Spielberg, and um, Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. Yeah, yeah, so much fun. But again, it, also, like I mentioned, uh, best Tarantino movie, best World War II movie, maybe one of the best movies of all time. I absolutely feel like it's part of that conversation for me. I know it's probably hyperbolic for some people, but from what I love about movies, this movie is basically as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. But that's everything for the show this week. Jump with where can anybody find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube Shorts, and TikTok. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And listen, do us a favor. Drop a rating, drop a review. Honestly, it goes a long way on helping our show get found by new audiences. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week. Take care.